0: There's a world beyond what we can see. Many times the physical challenges we face are rooted in the spiritual realm. In this unseen world, we can encounter real spiritual battles that affect our lives. Through the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can experience victory in the world we see and what remains unseen.
1: All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. I want to welcome all of our campuses right now. I want to welcome our South Shore campus, our Gulf Coast campus, those of you watching online and Facebook Live. And I also want to welcome those of you at the Orleans Justice Center and St. Tammany Parish Jail. So all of us together, why don't we, and all those of you, of course, at Little Creek Campus, why don't we welcome one another right now as we celebrate being together on Father's Day. So excited. So glad that all of you are with us. So obviously today is Father's Day, a very special day for all of us, and Pastor Steve is actually at our Baton Rouge campus this morning speaking live, and he wanted to give us a special gift by providing to us a very special person to all of us, and that is Pastor Jacob Aranza, who is uh, the, uh, that's right, give it up for Pastor Jacob. Pastor Jacob, Amanda, that almost means no no introduction unless you're new here, he is a As Pastor Steve's pastor and has been a real spiritual father to him, he serves on our board here at Church of the King. He is the senior pastor of our Savior's Church in the Lafayette area, a church of about 10,000 people across Acadiana. Just a phenomenal man and a tremendous blessing to our church in so many ways. So I'm going to ask all of you at Little Creek right now, why don't you stand to your feet right now, and I want everybody in here to give your best welcome to Pastor Jacob Aranza. Wow!
0: Hey, y'all are making me feel like a great father today. Stay standing because we want to pray for your pastor, Pastor Steve and Jennifer. Aren't you grateful for the gift that God's given you and Pastor Steve and Jen? And we want to pray for them. They're at the Baton Rouge campus today. And I I just want to say this from the beginning: Uh, Pastor Steve and I have walked together for 25 years. Began many years ago in youth ministry. And then we've walked together. We planted our church uh, just over 20 years ago. One year later, he was with us on the front row when we started, he and Jen. One year later, we were here as they planted Church of the King with Dr. Greg Muley and the Bible study that he had there and his family. And it's amazing what God has done. And I want you to know this. One of the greatest privileges of my entire life is to be a pastor to your pastor and a spiritual father to him. You are very, very, very blessed. Let's pray for Pastor Steve. Father, we thank you for Pastor Steve. We thank you for he and Jen and the gift of God that they are, not only to Mandeville, but all of our entire state. We pray that you would bless them today, that the word of God would be mighty in him, and that, Lord, as he preaches there in Baton Rouge, that you would begin to multiply many times over there exactly what you've done here. We thank you for the amazing fathers that are here today, but we bless you for the father you've given this house, Pastor Steve Robinson. In Jesus' name, and everybody that loves your pastor, give a good clap and a shout to the Lord. You may be seated. Well, Pastor Steve told me that I have to do this, so I, gotta, I, have to, I have to do this, and I am his pastor, but he tells me what to do. How many of you got kids like that? Good. Then you know how, exactly how I feel. Uh, I, I have six children, five boys and, and one daughter, uh, and obviously, you know, when you have a lot of children, you have a lot of different personalities. How many of you know all you need is two children to disprove evolution? How many of you know that? Raised in the same house, ate the same chicken fricassee, crawfish, etouffee, and they grow up and are totally, absolutely, 100% different. How many of you know that? Raise your hand. Okay. I don't know how that happened, but all you need is two children to disprove evolution, 100%. But Pastor Steve insisted that I tell you a little bit about my story because it gives you a background to the message I want to share with fathers today, and everyone who actually had a father. How many of you know it's a proven fact that if your mother and father don't have any children, neither will you? (laughs) True graduates of Hammond High School are going. Hey, so um, I was raised in the black ghetto of Houston, Texas until I was nine years old. When I found out I wasn't black, I moved from the black ghetto to the Mexican ghetto. <laughs> that, that, that's a true story. We moved right in the heart of integration. How many remember integration? Integration was going to solve all the school's problems by taking kids from the low-class black schools to the high-class white schools so they could get an equal education. Well, the only problem was Mexicans were not considered to be Mexicans. They were considered to be white because the Supreme Court said whoever wasn't black was white. It's true. Matter of fact, on my birth certificate, it says that I'm white. Later on, I found out I was a Mexican. Not long after that, I found out I was a Chicano. Then not long after that, I found out I was a Latino. And about 10 years ago, I found out I was a Hispanic. So pray for me while I find myself. <laughs> that, that's not bad. I married a Cajun girl, a Baudouin. She looked at me and she said, okay, if you're Hispanic, am I a Hispanic?" I said, no, baby. We created our whole new race of people. When you have five sons and one daughter, we are now the president of the Mexicoon fan club. (laughs) That's what happens when you cross a Cajun and a Mexican. Well, the reason why today's message means so much to me is because in the process of all that I just explained to you are the background details of my family. My father was married... Five times. The woman he married to my mother had been married two times. The third one had been married two times. One had been married three times. And then he finally, I married him. I performed the last ceremony when he was 73. He married a white lawyer from Houston that had never been married. And I knew he couldn't get away from her. <laughs> I grew up. In the greatest memory of my life, looking back on my childhood, was me sitting on the front porch of our house when my mom and dad had had another fight and the police had come one more time and all the children were awakened in the chaos. Sitting on the front porch the next morning, nine or ten years old, saying to myself, I don't know how, but one day my children aren't going to go through this hell. I don't know how. I don't know how, but one day my children will not experience what I experienced. You know, and it took me a long time to reconcile what I want to say to you right now. And that is, I, I, people would often hear my story and think, did your parents not love you? Well, of course they love me. You know what the second commandment is after loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? What's the second commandment? And love your as if you don't know how to love yourself, how many of you know your neighbor's in trouble? My parents loved me. They just didn't even know how to love themselves. And so I, I, I was just a mess. By the time I was 13 years old, I was in gangs, I was on drugs. I had four sisters that were pregnant 13, 14, and 15. My older brother was my hero. He was a drug dealer, and I was one of those people that Donald Trump has encouraged you to say, build that wall, build that wall. (laughs) Like, I, I was a poster child for that. But a miracle was about to happen in my life. A miracle that's happened for most of you that are here today. A white pastor who saw beyond color claim and claim to my junior high school for Christ in the middle of integration, where our school became 60% Mexican, 39% black, and 1% white, and everybody wanted power. The blacks were saying, we want black power. The Mexicans were saying, we want Chicano power. And the whites were saying, we want out. How did we end up here? And a white pastor at a small church claimed our school for Christ, and I'll spare you the details, but a 1,000 students came to Christ in my junior high school, and I was one of them. And he took me in, and he raised me like his own son for the next 10 years. And as I pulled up in the church parking lot, I called him like I do every Father's Day. Said, so "Thank you for being a father to the fatherless." You see, Jesus saved my soul, but the Church of Jesus saved my life. Today, I've got the privilege of answering the very prayer that I prayed as a nine-year-old child with sons who are pastors with a wife who when you look at her and look at me, you will know she has sight problems and must have been slain in the spirit when she said I do. <laughs> and I recognized as I got in the hotel room and, and knelt down this morning before I came here and said, God, thank you again. that I didn't have to be like my father. That you gave me another father I could be like. So today, I want to begin by saying Happy Father's Day. Tragically, for many of us, the word happy and father may not go hand in hand. Like saying Merry Christmas to to a Muslim or Happy Easter to a Jew. Maybe those terms happy and father don't go together for you. Why? In a survey done in the mid-1990s, People were asked about their relationship with their father, and up to 85% said they had a strained or indifferent relationship with their father. The implications of that can't be overestimated. 50% of children woke up this morning without their actual birth father in the home with them if there was a father there. Why is that so important? 85% of the people that are in prison grew up without a father. 85. As a matter of fact, nothing illustrates it any more than the story that's told in Richard Rohr's book about a nun who had a ministry to prison. Before Mother's Day, she began being asked by some of the prisoners, Sister, could could you get me a a Mother's Day card? So many began to ask that she finally wrote a, a national greeting card company and in kind, their response was they donated enough Mother's Day cards for, for every person in the prison. Every one of them were taken. Well, many of you know, just like today, that that's in May and what follows is Father's Day. So the greeting card company sent just as many Father's Day cards as they did Mother's Day cards. But as the nun records, tragically, not one card was asked for. The power of a father's influence can't be overestimated. The slogan is true, hurt people, hurt people. And most fathers who wounded their children were wounded children themselves. Today, we want to honor the fathers that learned and stayed And maybe you've been through a couple of different relationships. But today, we want to honor every father here who's in the house of God, who's tried to earn that title. That title that distinguishes you from billions of people on earth. When somebody walks and they point over you and go, that's my dad. That's my dad. Today, we want to look at a young man who every father would have been proud of. call his son. He had arguably what I call the greatest 24 hours in any teenager's life in history. He woke up that morning tending sheep, and he went to bed that night married to the king's daughter in the king's palace. How many of you know that's a good day? (laughs) In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we pick up our story. Saul, the king, Watch David as he prepared to go out to fight the Philistine. And he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, "Whose son is that young man? In other words, who's his daddy? "I really don't know," Abner declared. "Well, find out who he is," the king told him. And as soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought to him Saul, brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. "Come on, don't you love this guy already?" I mean, this is a true Cajun. (laughs) I mean, he comes to the king to meet him, and he has Goliath's head in his hand. And what walked down in that valley to face Goliath was a 14-year-old prepubescent boy. What walked up out of that valley was a full-grown man of God because you're not a man by virtue of your age. You're a man by being willing for the first time to face giants that scared off your parents and everybody else that they could never defeat in their life. But by God's grace, you're going to face drugs, alcohol. You're going to face the pain of your past, and you're going to face it in the name of Jesus and see a change. Why did David go to battle? For those of you who know the story, his father simply sent him there to bring food to his brothers, and he happened upon Goliath, calling out all of God's people, and he was the only one that was willing to step up. In other words, he was simply a messenger from his father when all of his life fortuitously unfolded before him. So let me say to you, do you know that your message from your father... Every man and woman here is a message from your father. I believe that as as a male, for sure, every one of us is one of three things. Number one, you are of a son of your earthly father. If I never embrace sonship, it will be difficult for me to embrace fatherhood. One is the seed, the other is the tree. Your father gave you your name, your size, your looks, your personality. If you deny him, you deny part of yourself. I can hear what you're saying, but pastor, hey, you, you don't know my daddy. You don't know how I grew up. Can I tell you this? I don't. But it's not about how you grew up. It's now about how you choose to grow up. The man who curses his father instead of surrendering his pain to Jesus for truth, forgiveness, and redemption, curses the preface of his own manhood. I'm reminded of a story of of one of the most prominent lawyers in our state. Many years ago, 25 years ago, I got pulled into his divorce. I, I, I didn't plan it. I just began ministering to him. And before I knew it, I was testifying in Baton Rouge. I was... Uh, escorting him as he would go for visitation. The day I went for him to go to Baton Rouge to pick up his daughter, and she was screaming from the house, I'm not going, I'm not going. Police were coming. It it was just, it was as, as all divorces. As a matter of fact, any of you know, there's nobody that hates divorce more than anyone that's experienced one. And I remember his son, who was the spitting image of his father. He was the youngest boy, and and the the, the mom in the divorce chose to do everything she could to divide the children from the father and to sow things into their heart to where there would be no relationship. The youngest son got the worst of it. It became so bad that he even chose to change his last name from his father's last name to his mother's last name. He was a great athlete like his father who played football at LSU and he was on a state championship basketball team that was on a run in Baton Rouge and his father went for the championship game. His son left message through other relatives, if my dad comes to the game, I'm not playing on the court. I'll walk off if I see him. So his father went with thousands of people and he stood back in the back hiding, watching the game as his son became a key part of the victory. At the end of the victory, he ran to the court, sprinted as quickly as he could, only to see his son run away. He changed his name. He was an athlete like his dad, and he later followed in the same profession as his dad to become an expert, just like his father. You see... Whether we accept it or not, regardless of where we come from, there is something inside of us that is always going to be a reflection of our Father. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 2, something that sometimes people find hard to do. I want you to read it with me out loud. Honor. Come on, say it with me one more time. Honor your Father. You say, Pastor You've already told me about your relationship with your father and his life. What do you honor with him? Can can I tell you, I called him yesterday before the 6 o'clock service, and you know what I told him I honored about him? You are very persuasive and influential. Anybody that could get five women to marry you, come on, that man got some sway. He's got what is called some swag. I mean, he got something going on. He had a great personality. He was a waiter. He had an amazing way with people. He made people feel good about themselves. He knew how to engage others. That is a gift by God's grace that I received from him. Many of you know the story of Noah's sons, how they came in and found him drunk and naked. And one of his sons Said, look, Daddy's naked when told his brothers and his brothers came and they found they walked in backwards and covered up his nakedness. Why are you saying this to us, Pastor? Because every one of us know the nakedness of our father. Every one of us do. And you know what you can do? You can hail that, and you can talk about how terrible they are. You could talk about what you experienced, and you could talk about all of those things. It won't change it. It won't change it. Gordon Dalby, the famed writer to men, says the man who curses his father sacrifices his masculine heritage on the altar of his own ego. So find something you can honor in your father. Find something you can honor. Here's the second thing. Every man is a father of children. You were a male by birth, but you become a man by choice. One intimate act can make a child, but it, to really become a father, it takes a lifetime of sacrifice, giving, helping, hoping, dreaming, crying, praying, and paying. And paying, did I say paying? <laughs> and paying. Tom Hansel says, Fathering is unpredictable and untidy and frequently confusing. That's why there are so many fathers who have children and so few children. Who have fathers. Many are worried about what their fathers did to them instead of what they're doing to their own children by not turning loose of what their fathers did to them. Someone said, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. Don't point. <laughs> the real father gives up his immaturity for something far greater than riches and fame and personal independence. They give it up so they can receive that cherished title of dad. Daddy, pops, poppy, or in my case, el macho muchacho. (laughs) Like material found in a child's favorite stuffed animal. It may have been used for anything in the world, but it chose to be used for something more valuable than itself. So I want to say to you, embrace your role as a father. Look at me. Do your best. God will cover the rest. Embrace your role as a father. Do your best. And God will take care of the rest. Number three, you are a son of your heavenly father. A son of your heavenly father. Romans 8.15 says, and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Some of you grew up that way and with your father you felt that way. Male or female, like I, no matter what you did, it was never good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. Enfolding you into the family of God. And then it says this so that you can utter, and what rises up within our spirits is to join Him in saying the words of tender affection. What is it? Come on, say it loud. For some of you, those words don't go together, but they can and they will after today, from now on. Another translation says, Abba, Father. Galatians 4 4 says this, but when the time has arrived, it was set forth by God. God sent his son, born to us among women, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus, we've been set free to experience our rightful heritage you can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives crying out. Say it with me. Papa, father. Papa, father. Today, maybe, maybe you didn't have a great father. I, I want to give you the first scripture my spiritual father taught me that I was talking to just before I walked out here today. Here's what he, it's Psalm 68 verse 5. God is a father to what? The fatherless. To the widow, he is a champion friend. To the lonely, he makes them a part of family. Maybe, maybe you didn't have the best father. I want to say two things to you. Number one, I'm sorry. That was never God's plan and it was never God's intent. It was never God's plan. It was never God's intent. All of it is a direct result of the fall. The world's never been what God wanted it to be since the fall in the garden. He's never been. It's never been what God wanted it to be. But I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to say. Jesus didn't come to bring you answers. He came to bring you a relationship with the Father. To bring you a relationship with him. To bring you a relationship with Him. That's why Jesus came. I can tell you this God wants you, and He wants to be the Father you never had. I declared this over my life, over and over. When I came to Christ, my dad kicked me out of the house, and I moved into my mom's bar. She owned a bar. And from the time I was 14 till I moved away with my pastor when I was 17 and a half years old, I served beer every day when I came home from school. That's what I had to do. And there were three declarations that transformed my life. There were pictures of unclothed women almost the size of this screen all around me. There were women who lived immorally that worked there in my mother's bar. There was pain and disappointment all around me. But there were three things that I knew that I got a revelation of that, regardless of my circumstances, made what was inside of me totally different. Here it is. I am a child of God. God is my father. I want you to say with me, I am a child of God. Come on, say it with me. I am a and God is my father. Come on say it with me. I am a and I am a child of God and I am a child of God and and God is my father. God is my father. I knew that. I knew that God was my father. Here's the second thing. I knew that I was forgiven and greatly loved. That I was forgiven and greatly loved. Because the enemy was always lie to me and go, look at the situation you're living in. Look, you're having to serve beer. Look at these pictures of unclothed women on the wall. Look at all these people around here. Look at your family. Look at the mess that you are. And I would go back and say, hold it. Let me tell you something. I am a child of God, and God is my father. And I am forgiven and greatly loved. I am forgiven and greatly loved. I am forgiven and greatly loved. So I want you to say that with me. I am and... One more time, I am forgiven and I am and and you know why the devil hates that? Let me tell you why the devil hates that. Look right here. Because there's only one living being that can never be forgiven. And do you know who it is? He lost his position as an angel being close to the father. He lost his relationship with the father and he wants you to use yours as well. He can never be forgiven, so he's always condemning you because that's the way he feels. But can I tell you something? I am a child of God. I am a child of the Father. And I am forgiven and greatly loved. And if I sin, he'll forgive me because he loves me. He loves me. And he's paid the price for my sin, past, present, and future. I'm not going before that great weighing scale in the sky when I die. You you know the one that you were taught about, that you're going to stand before God one day, and they're going to add up all the good things you did on one side and all the bad things you did on the other one. And if the good things outweigh the bad, then Peter, of course, he's going to be there at the pearly gates. And if the good outweighs the bad, the gates open up and they start singing... Okay, and then everybody goes yeah. Okay. If you went on the day where you didn't go to church that week and you didn't read your Bible and you got mad and you flipped somebody off in road rage and realized it was somebody from Church of the King and and and, and you you had a bad day and you did things you shouldn't have done and said things you shouldn't have said Then you're going to stand before St. Peter and that's all going to be added up and all of a sudden it's going to go down like this and a trap door is going to open up and Queens going to start singing another one bite the dust, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> my father paid for my sin with the life of his son, past, present, and future. And I am forgiven and greatly loved by him. There is nothing that can separate me from his love. Here's the third thing. Oh, and this is my favorite. I get the free sauce when I talk about this. How many of you know what that is? How many of you have no clue what that is and it sounds like a Mexican curse word? It's a Cajun word for chills. It means chicken skin. Free sauce. I'm trying to teach you something here at church. Come on. Let's go. Free, free, free sauce. Y'all are terrible. When a Mexican is teaching Cajun people how to speak French, this is the last days. Now I know why you want that wall built. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, and he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. But let me explain it for you. The cross is the place where Jesus went to lay down His righteousness to pick up our sin, so we could go to that same cross and lay down our sin and pick up His righteousness. Let let me say it better for you. Are you ready? Oh, this is so good. Are you ready? Are you really sure you're ready? Okay, because I I know now that you are a child of God and God is your father. Come on, I am a? And? And number two, I am forgiven and? One more time, I am? And? Here's the best one. Here's the best one. It does get better. Jesus was God, was he not? Okay. Okay. Could God sin? No, there's two things God can't do. He can't lie and he can't sin. He'd violate his nature and character. So could Jesus sin? Okay, no. No. Let me try one more time. Could Jesus sin? So in order for Jesus to take upon himself the sin of the world, God had to make him to be sinned. So Jesus could not. So God had to make him to be sin. Now. Can you live right, Can you live righteously and never sin your whole life from this day forward? So you know what God had to do? He had to make you to be righteous. So the same way that Jesus could never sin so God had to make him to be sin, he had nothing to do with it, is the same way when you receive Christ, God makes you to be righteous and you had nothing to do with it. So we can say God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for Jacob, that Jacob might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. So we're going to end with our three affirmations and one little story that you'll love. Here's the first one. Come on with me. I am a child of God. Come on, let's say it. God is my God is my Here's the second one. I am forgiven and greatly loved. Come on, I am forgiven. And forgiven. one more time, I am forgiven. and Now, let me just stop, because I see some of y'all here. Oh, I see how Mexicans are. They just tell people what to say. It's true, but we usually have guns in our hand, and they usually are a little more cooperative. We usually lose them at offering time. In the French Quarter, it becomes offering time when we pull those out. but, 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 But listen carefully to me. The whole time I'm telling you this, the enemy's telling you, that's not. That's not you. It's somebody else. It's not, you know why? The Bible calls him not the accuser of evil people. Like you're not sitting in church and the devil's going, Don't call Fred. You'll go out and get drunk with him. The devil isn't telling you that. The devil's telling you Fred is cool. Fred's got it going on. Fred is the Doseca's man. Fred is Fred. Fred is cool. He is the accuser of the brethren. So while you sit here, he's not accusing bad people. He's accusing the good that God is saying to you. So that's why I want you to know that you are a child of God and God is your father. Because when that happens, you reinstitute a relationship that the devil lost, that he will never have again. And he doesn't want you to have it either. Yeah, that's good. Second, I am forgiven in great love. Come on, I am. And third, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Come on, I am the. One more time, tell the devil, I am the. I didn't say tell your friend. I said tell the devil. I am the. So you wonder, Pastor Jacob, how did you get from your mama's bar? The only child in your family to graduate from high school. How how did you get from there to here? I'll tell you how. Taking that book right here and walking up in my my mama's parking lot of her bar going, I am a born-again child of God. God is my Father. I am forgiven and greatly loved. I am the righteousness of God in Christ I am the born-again child of God, and God is my Father. I am forgiven and greatly loved. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And one day, what was inside of me began to change everything that was outside of me. That's how. Last story, and then we'll close. I have a, a friend that I met during the height of Promise Keepers. How many of you remember Promise Keepers? I was uh, a part of Promise Keepers from the 1990s. Led Bill McCartney, the founder of Promise Keepers, discipled his youngest son, and who's now a pastor, Mark. And when, when Promise Keepers began, there was literally, they were packing out every stadium. Texas Stadium in Dallas where the Cowboys played. It was sold out, and they were scalping tickets out front for men to hear the word of God. Amen. And so when that happened, there was a pastor who actually was behind it all. It was Bill McCartney's pastor. His name was James Ryle. Each week at Promise Keeper rallies, I got a chance to hear James share his story. And here's his personal story that he shared. As a young boy, just after he was born, his dad, who was a drug dealer, was arrested and taken to prison, incarcerated for many, many years, and moved throughout the prison system all across the United States. As a young boy, he followed in kind, in crime, and then ultimately in drugs, and then ultimately arrested and incarcerated. While incarcerated, he had an encounter with God and was radically transformed. Began to consume the word of God, follow the call of God into ministry. And when he got out of prison, he moved to Boulder, Colorado and started a vineyard church. That's where Bill McCartney went to church. And that's how the vision of promise keepers began, right there in that church. One day he got a strange phone call several years into his pastor from his secretary. And she said, Pastor, she said, There's a man that's called, and, and he said he's your daddy and he would like to talk to you, and he left a number. James immediately called, and his father answered and said, Hello, James? He said, Yes. He said, I'm your father. He said, Where have you been? He said, Well, I've been incarcerated for over 25 years. He said, I'm, I, I would like to come see you next week. Can you do that? And he said, Sure. So, so he had a week to think about his father coming, who he'd never seen and never talked to, Outside of that one phone call, and he started thinking, "What are we going to talk about? Like, like what? What? What are we going to talk about?" So the only thing they had in common was prison. And so when they came and met the next week, they began to discuss after small talk, prison. Where, where were you stationed? Where did you put? Where they put you? Where were you locked up here? What cell were you in here? What? And they discovered that at two different times, they were both in Leavenworth Prison. And he looked at his father and he said, well, when were you there? He said, well, I was there in such and such a year. And he said, my job was, I'm a mason. So what I did is, I helped build cinder block prison cells. As they further discussed what went on, Pastor James discovered that his father built the prison that he was incarcerated in. Pastor Steve and I have a friend from Dallas, Texas. His name is Joe Martin. Joe was the senior class president at Ole Miss, most popular kid on the campus. He lights up a room even to this day. Joe got radically converted his senior year, and though he was going to go into business and become a lawyer, God totally rearranged his life, and instead, he went into ministry and began being equipped for ministry. And when he got ready to begin pastoring, he'd been raised on a rural farm in Texas. On that farm was a huge oak tree at the front of the farm. And when he got the building they were going to renovate, his father chopped down that tree and he made wood out of it. And with that wood, he built the platform that Joe Martin stands on this morning to preach the gospel and the pulpit that he stands behind. One man built the prison cell his son was incarcerated in. The other one built the platform that his son stands on to this day. You can clap. Today, as a father, I want to remind you who you are. And I can remind you who you can be, even if you had a father like mine or none at all. Bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the word of God that is powerful, that transforms our lives. We thank you for the truth that is revelation, that reminds us that we were created in your image on purpose, for a purpose. And now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they couldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter in to the kingdom of heaven. Then he said, don't marvel that I tell you, you must be born again. My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor in a chemistry lab to be born again. That day, I was never the same again. Some days spiritually I've done good, some days spiritually I've not done so well, but I've never been the same since that day. I became a born again child of God and God became my father. I want to ask you a question Have you been born again? You say, Well, Pastor, I've been christened, I've, I've joined the church, I, I've gone through membership class, I serve. Isn't that good enough? That's not what Jesus said. That's a great start. But Jesus said, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. As I said, my birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter when I prayed with that African-American counselor. Can I ask you, have you been born again? The answer to that question determines whether you try to figure out life for the rest of your life on your own or whether you trust the person that made you also has a plan and a purpose to go on with your life. They're hand in hand, that they're meant to go together. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, how can I become born again? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner and sin has separated you from God. B, believe that Jesus became God's sin bearer and he died on the cross for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. And C, confess Christ. As your Lord and Savior, as you turn away from sin to be born again. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you if you've never prayed to be born again, and today you want a new beginning. Today you want to become spiritually alive. Today you want to begin finding out the purpose and plan that God has for you in a relationship with the Father. One, everything that God's done in your life has brought you to this moment. Two, it's no accident that you're here. God brought you here, and that's what you feel in your heart right now. Now, if you want to be born again today, I'm going to pray for you right at your seat. We're not going to embarrass you. Just pray for you there. Three, if that's you, lift your hand all across this building. Pastor, pray for me. I want to be born again. Come on, raise it high. One, two, three, four, five. Keep it high. Six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. High, 16, 17. All right. 18. And now, with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, last 10 seconds, if you're hearing you say, Pastor, I should have raised my hand with these 18, but I didn't. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I know God's talking to me. I need to be born again today. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. If you've already raised your hand, don't raise it again. I see it. You can put your hand down. But if you didn't raise your hand, and you should have, when I just counted, I want you to raise it and wave it at me right now. I'm asking this last time for you. Okay, 19, wave it at me, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, all right, 25, all right. Now, church, I want us to pray out loud together, and all of those of you that raised your hand to be born again, we're going to join you, and at the end of this prayer, you're going to be spiritually alive. You're going to be born again. Christ is going to come and live inside you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Your sins are going to be forgiven. And today you begin your relationship with God the Father. Let's pray out loud, church. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, in a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. And I'm born again in Jesus' name, amen.